0: The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Well, now I'm joined in studio by the former state pathologist, um, Dr. Mary Cassidy, who has had a, a career since her retirement, in quotes, uh, on the, the small screen because she was dancing with the stars. And now her third career, or perhaps there are others that I don't know about, is as a, a novelist, a crime author. Mary, good morning and welcome.
1: Good Thank you for speaking to me.
0: So did you have to retire or did you choose to retire?
1: I chose to retire. I think I had come to the end of that stage of my career.
0: Now, how do you know as a pathologist that you've reached that stage?
1: Once you begin to question things, and I mean by that, I mean question why people... I mean, I've spent my whole life dealing with death and violent deaths and I've stuck very rigidly to looking at the, the, the body and examining it and looking to find out the cause of death. And I've never asked who did it and why they did it or what was happening. And once you start to stray into that area, then I think you run the risk of it tainting your evidence.
0: Mm. But, but your evidence, I mean, you are producing the truth as the body has testified. Exactly. So when do you start second guessing? Because we know we've seen many trials, be they in this jurisdiction or another jurisdiction. And you get uh, people on both sides, the so-called expert witnesses. And one says black and the other says white. Mm-hmm. And it, it strikes me that, you know, people are hired guns. But when you're a state pathologist, you're not a hired gun. Your duty is to the state and to the court and to the court, just to say it as you have found it. Yes. Yeah. So, how did you find yourself straying into second guessing either the prosecution or the defence?
1: Um, well, in my professional life, I tried very hard not to, and it, sometimes it is quite hard, to, <laughs> but um, you have to. If you, it's your area of expertise, you stick to your area of expertise. Once you start, once you start digressing and you start moving in, um, that's when you can get caught out very badly in court. And um, it's, the witness box is a very lonely place. To sure.
0: Be. <laughs> I'd imagine that they, they would look, uh, a defence uh, counsel would look for areas of speculation on your part.
1: Exactly. And that's what you can't afford to do.
0: You cannot afford to speculate. No, you can't. Uh, sometimes they will probably try to lure you into speculation, therefore, to undermine and discredit.
1: They do, and I think you ha- I think when, when I was young and foolish, um, now I'm old and foolish, um, when I was young and foolish, you, you, you tended to go along with it because you, you assumed that people, you know, they... they are
0: they, well disposed that really- towards you yes. as a, an expert. Um,
1: and I think after you've been knocked about a bit in court, you suddenly realise that we're not all friends together. Mm. You're there to do a job, just you stick to that. And if you don't, you know, doctors in particular like to be helpful. And so somebody said, they say, well, what about? And you go, no, you just stick to the party line. This is what I found. This is what I think it means. And that's it.
0: Now, um, you became a pathologist very young. First of all, you have to be a doctor. That's the the first thing. Now, you do anatomy in the course of your medical studies. So you're used to kind of carving things up.
1: Well uh you'll get one body between about a dozen off sure so
0: but but it's part body. of the drill, so but it is you know there are no surprises when you start to to do a post mortem but what uh, is attractive? about the job of pathology? Because somebody's got to do it. I often thought it must be a difficult job to do. Your predecessor, John Harbison, he used to always say, as a young man, he realised he didn't have a good bedside manner. He had a great slab side manner. That was his line. (laughs) And so he became a pathologist. What about you?
1: I think think all pathologists, and particularly forensic pathologists, are much the same. We realise that um, there's other people out there who can deal with the living, we are better disposed to be dealing with the dead.
0: Now, how do you approach it? Because being, even the word forensic indicates that it is, in its own way, a detective story. It is. You're trying to figure out the cause of death. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it could be toxicology that would reveal it. Mm-hmm. It could be the examination of a blunt force trauma or whatever it might be, yeah. or it might be a mystery. Yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly. And I think that's what enthuses us all because that's what you, you want to see if you can work this puzzle out. Um, and I was always fascinated by why somebody died. Why did they die on the Tuesday when they were, you know, Monday they seemed to be fine. Um, and then you, you you take that into the realms of criminality. Um, so I just find it fascinating.
0: Now, would your... Uh Imperative always to deal with be to deal with criminal cases, not with someone who was walking down the street and just fell down. Or would you have to do both of those kind of endeavours?
1: As a forensic pathologist, you do you do everything that comes under the umbrella of unnatural. Yeah. Um, so, but even having said that, if somebody dies suddenly, and unexpectedly, and they haven't seen their own GP for quite some considerable time, a coroner will decide that a post mortem needs to be carried out to try and. Determine the actual cause of death Again, you could speculate that it's likely to be a heart attack But until you've opened it up and looked at the heart Then you don't really know mm-hmm.
0: Now, we've all seen uh, post-mortems or versions thereof on television mm-hmm. And it's, uh, you know, it's done tastefully, I suppose Not to gross out the, the, yes. the viewer In reality, it must be for a stranger to it Like a young officer coming to the first post-mortem It must be difficult
1: extremely difficult because, I mean, I made a conscious decision to do this for the for my career. Uh, but you see guards coming in and, as you say, they're fresh out of college. And the last thing they thought would be that they would spend a day in a mortuary. And you have to be very mindful of them because um, some of them are quite good and they can cope with it. But there's this kind of a macho, yeah, I've got to, you know, I've got to t- not to show any weakness. And I always say to them, look, if you don't like it, get out. I said, I won't be upset if you leave the mortuary. But if you're not feeling light, feeling comfortable, you're feeling ill, get out.
0: Do they need to be there? I mean, uh, often you'll, uh, I read a lot of uh, crime fiction, in, you know, and the, the sergeant and the constable will be dispatched because they have to be at the post-mortem, and the hardened sergeant is aware that the young constable is going to puke probably uh, for their first time. Do the officers or representatives of the police forces have to be there?
1: Somebody has to be there to witness it and for you to be able to tell them exactly what you've found and show them what you've found. In the the olden days, when I first started off, everybody crowded into the mortuary. But now with health and safety and other aspects, there's just a small group of people in the mortuary, the ones who definitely have to be there. The pathologist, obviously, the assistant, the APT and a photographer. And usually somebody collecting the evidence on your behalf. So,
0: okay. Do you talk the evidence into a recorder as you go?
1: uh, No, I'm I'm, I'm afraid I make my own notes. I'm the long hand, so I'm away scribbling away in the corner.
0: Hmm. Now, um, I mentioned retirement. I put it in quotes because you've been extremely busy, and uh, that adventure, Dancing with the Stars, must have been great fun, but daunting as well because hard work. Yeah, hard work, but getting you fit at the same time, which is not bad. Um, were you accused of being a notice box when uh, you took on that? You know, because it's like chalk and cheese, dancing and forensic pathology.
1: Well, I've parked forensic pathology. Well, kind of. Uh...
0: <laughs> not quite. I've been reading the book.
1: <laughs> so, no, I, no, this is a new phase in my life. And um, I've spent 40 years in mortuaries, um, both in Scotland and here. So um, I thought, no, it's time for a change. Time mm-hmm. to get some fun in, back into my life.
0: All right, and you certainly did. Um, the, the business of uh, being a pathologist, does it give you intimations of your own mortality all the time?
1: I think it's something you're always aware of. As I say, the only thing we can guarantee is today. What happened yesterday, that's, not, that's gone. Um, and we don't know if there's going to be a tomorrow. So I always say to people, you'll know, make the most of today. That's about the only thing I can yeah. get. The
0: only thing you can be sure of is you're here right now. Right uh, now. And who knows. Now, uh, your new book, your first endeavour in crime fiction, Body of Truth. Um, when I was reading the, the opening chapter, I was just thinking, first of all, is this about her? Is this, is this simply an autobiography, uh, heavily disguised or not so heavily disguised? You've got a young pathologist from Scotland coming to Ireland to take up the job of temporary deputy state pathologist mm-hmm. yeah. so
1: well um as i say write about what you know <laughs> <laughs> and the only thing i know is me and death <laughs> so so but i could use the the book to explore what i can't what i couldn't do in my professional life so i could um blur the ages and and
0: so you can become that it. detective that you never could be exactly when you were in the job
1: exactly and say the things and and you know be a little bit uppity, um, which I could never be and that's just not me anyway. But um you can have fun with a character. Yeah,
0: the reason I was asking you about you know being a, a notice box. There's a, a professor who approaches this young uh, Terry, uh, who is your state pathologist, mm-hmm. and and says. Uh, um, impulsive and far too fond of media attention.
1: Mm.
0: And I was wondering where you just have a little kind of in joke about yourself.
1: <laughs> yes, because um, as you know, the, as the state pathologist, you do get a lot of media attention. And I was saying earlier, mainly it's because we're a constant at crime scenes. You know, there's lots of guard emailing about and, you know, nobody knows them from Adam. But the one constant would be the pathologist. And as soon as the pathologist arrives, people know it's something serious. Uh Jack before me was, as they say in Glasgow, a well kept figure. And then I came along and, of course, then I just slipped into that role.
0: Now, uh, when you were creating characters in your book... You have to be conscious of, you know, uh, any resemblance to characters living or dead or people living or dead (laughs) is entirely coincidental. So when you create a, you know, a a detective chief superintendent, Sinnott,
1: uh,
0: you know, you have to, people in the force may be saying, I wonder, could that be so and so? (laughs) How careful did you have to be in creating those characters?
1: It's purely fiction. (laughs) (laughs) Read into it. What do you want? <laughs>
0: now, how much do you want to tell us about um, the, the 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 plot? I mean, the opening chapter. Anna, it, it's hmm. no problem to tell people that it's not necessarily for the faint-hearted. It's quite descriptive of what goes on. It is on the table, on the slab.
1: Yes, but not in a purient sense. I mean, I, I've uh, somebody said to me, "It's quite matter of fact about these things," and I said, "Well." that's That comes from my background because I had to be matter of fact about yeah. these things, and so i that's what I carried on into writing the book it's It's a case of this is what this is the reality of... this is what happens somebody. when you peel
0: back the skin to reveal the skull and the bruise or whatever it might be I mean, a
1: lot of people don 't want to know that and don't want to hear it but um but that's it, and it's nothing you know, it's nothing unusual from the point of view of the pathologist um but I just thought you know, as I say. Write it the way you 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 normally would write a post mortem
0: report. Yeah. Now that opening post mortem is not the meat and potatoes no. of the book. No, there is another death. Yeah, and tell us only as much as you want to tell us about this character. We know she's blonde. We are guessing at who she might be, and then we find out who she is, and that's where you know why comes in. Yeah. So tell us.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, the um, a body is found. In um, at Farmley in Phoenix Park, and they quickly realize it's a a young female. But to begin with, she's unidentified, and that's part of the examination will be to try and determine who this person is because it's obvious from the time, from the initial examination, that the body's been there for some time. Um, And as it comes out, the um, the deceased person is a young female and she's a podcaster. And of course, she's interested in true crime. And she's been delving into past murders Yeah, and raking over the coals of those.
0: And interesting, we were talking on Friday about the, the Sky series on the six women who disappeared mm, in, yes. in Leinster. Uh, and... You know, Geraldine Island was the one featured in this, but this is not based on Geraldine Island, who is uh, investigating the women, those women. This is more contemporary. Yeah. Um, obviously, the chapter and verse of this you can write uh, well because you you know all about forensic pathology. Mm-hmm. What about the the other stuff? You know, the dialogue, <laughs> the the plotting, and so on. Because it's a it's a brave endeavor to put yourself on the cover of a, a crime fiction book.
1: Well, as I say, it's a steep learning curve because I mean I'm I'm used to as I say writing reports, um, and in fact when I started to, to the writing process of fiction, um, it it I I was writing it as I would be delivering something to an audience, um, which means as normally when I'm giving a talk to to whether it's students or whatever, I do tend to go off in a tangent. And I kind of wander off the subject and then come back. And so I found that that's how I was writing. And they were saying, no, no, it needs to be snappy. It needs to be snappy. You need to to cut back. And then I thought, when I'm giving evidence in court, I have to make it snappy because I have to make sure that the jury don't fall asleep halfway through my report. So I thought, well, take that staccato approach and so make it snappy. And
0: that gives pace to the book.
1: I mean, as I say, I had never even thought about it before, but then... You think, oh, yeah, that does make sense, I suppose.
0: Now, uh, this book is called uh, Body of Truth, but I suspect there's probably another one already underway.
1: Well, there's a lot of ideas floating (laughs) around. That little head of mine.
0: Well, it's a great read and it is such an informed read, which uh, gives us all the more uh, pleasure. It's called Body of Truth, as I said, and it's author, Dr. Mary Cassidy, former state pathologist. Thank you very much for joining us in studio today.